0: I love the accounts that we're about to cover this morning, guys, as we get into Genesis uh, 23 here this morning. Um, How many of you guys have been through these chapters before, have studied them out? Handful of you guys. Um, There's a lot of practical wisdom here for us, and I just uh, been praying that as we go through these things, uh, that God would be just dropping by his spirit, um, just truth truth that we're able to comprehend and see and actually apply because it's one thing guys to know the word of God it's a whole nother thing to know what to do with that knowledge of the word how do we actually live that out and that's where we really need to be praying like God we know your word it's relevant okay and how does it actually apply today to what I'm going through and there's there's much uh, insight that we have in these few chapters this morning so let's start off right here in chapter 23. We read that Sarah lived 127 years, and there were the years of her life uh, of Sarah there. So the Bible um, mentions a lot of people's life in different genealogies, and when they died, Sarah's the only woman that's mentioned her death in all of the Bible. And as we've considered her and looked into her life, she's a godly woman, a very special Uh, woman here so Sarah died we're told in Kirith Arba which is Hebron in the land of Canaan and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her I think if we consider Abraham's test just a couple chapters back you remember chapter 22 he was to sacrifice his son okay Um, that was difficult but I think how much more difficult is it to lose a a lifelong companion here, a uh, greater challenge. It would have been heartbreaking to lose a child, but Abraham would have been able to go home, right? Into the arms of his loving wife and share that burden, that grief with her. But here, he's lost his wife. Um, and we're told Abraham mourns for Sarah and weeps for her. Uh, this is the first mention that we find in the Bible of tears tears. And of weeping, okay? So weeping, there could have been a lot up to this point. Okay, what have we seen so far? The fall. Do you think Adam and Eve shed a few tears that day when they said, absolutely. You think about the flood, the judgment that came. Lots of people were probably weeping over that. What took place at the Tower of Babel, okay? All those accounts we were given, but we don't read of them weeping, mourning over those things, God waits to this point to show a man of faith, okay, with the loss of his godly wife, okay, the clutches of death to bring out uh, the reality of mourning and weeping, this experience. And if the Lord tarries, guys, that's something all of us are going to face and go through at some point in our lives. Um... Even as a person of faith, um, it's okay to weep and cry. We see that. Abraham was a man of faith, and it's good to get our grief out. Now, it says, Abraham stood up from before his, his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a sojourner among you. Give me property for the burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So the land that Abraham is about to buy, I want you guys to catch this. It's already his. Do you guys remember Genesis 15? This is in the promised land. This is what God had given to Abraham. But what's significant about that, Abraham calls himself a what? A foreigner and a sojourner. Think about that. A stranger in this world. It's not a lack of faith here, okay? This is a renunciation of the world by Abraham, okay? He was given this earthly inheritance from the Lord, okay? But the things of this earth really weren't attractive to him. He was looking for his heavenly home. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And that's why... He says here that he wants to bury Sarah out of my sight, he said. And I hope no one misunderstands where I'm going with this right now. Um, With what I'm about to say here, we've already seen the proper, you know, grieving of Abraham over Sarah because you want to honor a life, okay? And that is good. And he did that uh, at her death. But there comes a point when we need to you know put our Sarah out of sight okay we've got to move on there's a grieving that is good and right in honoring a person's life we should do that but to be obsessive or prolonged grieving it dishonors the eternal life that that person inherits if I keep looking and focusing at the corpse of my Sarah what she was like on earth I'm not grieving it's not grieving credence to the eternal life inherited today and that's what we get to live in so guys if you (laughs) if you lose somebody that means you don't know where they are right? tracking with me? we know where people go especially as believers in Christ okay and there's a bittersweet thing we should Grieve. It's okay to grieve. We all grieve differently, but it has to come to an end at some point, especially as believers. And it's harder for us because, I shouldn't say it's harder. It's easier in aspects because we know truth. We have the reality of eternity. We know that our loved ones in Christ, we get to see again someday. That's exciting, you know. Even though we're still grieving, we're rejoicing at the same time. In that it is hard when we have a loved one who doesn't know Jesus. There are times I've had people who've died um, throughout my life, and when I think about them, some of them rejected God, and that still hurts to my, you know, hurts my heart to this day. That, but we get to look forward to those who are in Christ to meeting them again. Let's move on. It says, And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. So none of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up, bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with the dead out of or sorry. And Ephraim the son of Zoar from me that he may give me a cave at Machpelah which he has which is at the end of his field let him give it to me at full price as a property burial place among you so the rabbis guys would actually speak of Machpelah um, meaning double doors that was the meaning of Machpelah double doors So literally, two entrances were in this cave. And I look at that as one being a literal and another being a spiritual. Some of you guys know Alexander McLaren. He said, death is but a passage. It's only a vegetable. The grave has a door on its inner side. And I like that, guys. So the door of death also has a door to eternity. For us who are in Christ... We don't really die, do we? Okay, This body may perish away, but in that moment, (laughs) we're with God in heaven. Okay, Perfected body, whole. We're just passing on. Look at verse 10 here. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered the gate of his city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence and the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. So understand, guys, this is that oriental mindset. Okay, if they're in the Middle Eastern merchants. They like to haggle, right? That's what they do, and that's what's going on here. So he wasn't about giving anybody uh, something for free. This was just the customary start to negotiations, right? So somebody offers it for free, then you come back with a price. And that's what we see here. Then Abram bowed himself down before the people of the land. And he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me, and I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is it that between me and you? So bury your dead. So it's probably, you know, the 400 shekels is probably on the high end. They were thinking they were going to haggle down from that point. But catch what Abraham says. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver of Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So Ephron... Expected here, Abraham, to do some of this haggling over the asking price. But I think there's a lesson here for you and I. Don't we always want the best deal? Yeah, we want the best deal. Don't be a cheapskate as a Christian. Okay? People are worth their wage. Whatever's fair, pay them. Okay? Um, verse 17. So the field of Ephraim, which was at Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it. And all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in the gate of the city, or his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the son of Heth, the property for a burial place. So not only was Sarah buried in this cave in Machpelah, guys, but this is where Abraham would be buried, Isaac, Rebekah, Leah. So it's a family burial site here. Now Genesis 24. This is going to be fun because it's very intriguing and a very exciting chapter um, and not because it tells uh, you know, a really cool romance story, but because it has some implications that we need to catch as believers. You guys know that in the Bible, the New Testament often will go and take accounts of the Old Testament and pull them out as allegories. It's historical, the things really happened, but there is a spiritual picture, something much bigger than the story itself. And they'll pull out those spiritual truths and use these as examples, allegorically speaking. So let's take a look at this one. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh. So this was a customary thing of taking an oath. That's what's going on here. And he says, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. So it would have been to Abraham's benefit to marry or have his son marry someone of the land, another Canaanite. Because, hey, we can make some allegiances, you know, we'll have friendship, we can work together. But he couldn't bear the thought of Isaac being wedded to an idolatrous Canaanite. Okay, he wanted a believer, let's say. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which he came? But Abraham said, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give you this land, he will send his angel before you. And you shall take a wife from my, or for my son from there. And if a woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from your oath. Only do not take my son back there. So Abraham didn't want to risk Isaac getting entangled there in Haran, okay? Um, and miss out on what God had promised, okay? And we want the same for our kids, don't we? Yeah. Don't go back there to that old life, to the world. Man, walk in the promises of God, okay? Set your sights, be moving forward in those things. So Eliezer here had the challenge of finding Isaac a wife who was not will you know, who was willing just really to walk by faith. That's you're not gonna see the man. You guys see what's going on here? You're not gonna get to see the husband to be Isaac. We're just gonna ask you to come by faith. That's what's shaken out here. Now look at verse nine. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were under his hand. So this is what he would use to entice the bride-to-be. He was allowed to give away his master's blessings. So hopefully you're beginning to see the allegorical nature of this story, guys. You guys remember chapter 24 is on the heels of what we saw in chapter 22, where Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. So the episode was very prophetic of what was yet future, okay? Because at that exact same spot, 2,000 years later, God the Father would offer his only begotten son, Jesus. But the allegory doesn't end with chapter 22. Here we have Abraham. He sends out his servant to find a bride for his son. And though the servant goes unnamed in this story, we know from chapter 15, verse 2, it's Eliezer. Now, Eliezer, what does his name mean? Comforter. Think about this for a second, guys. Because the New Testament story, after Jesus sacrificed, okay, and ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit came, and he's referred to as our Comforter, isn't he? So, He sent, he sent by the Father, to find a bride for his son. And he's looking for folks who will walk by faith, who will take vows to a man that they've never seen. And isn't that what the Holy Spirit is doing today? Convicting people of their sin. Helping them see that they need a Savior. okay, Forgiveness of sins. That there is a groom there who wants them as a bride. Do you not know that you're maker is your husband think about that we think about this whole you know Jesus being our our groom and we are his bride it's a beautiful picture and that's the picture that's being drawn out here from this passage in Genesis 24 and how does the Holy Spirit entice us well I'm glad you guys asked let me share with you guys Um, Eliezer wooed this young woman didn't he Look at all that my master has. Look at all these goodies that my master has for you. Do you guys know the Apostle Paul, when he began to um, write his letter to the Ephesians, told them, the believers there, you guys in Christ, (laughs) you know, though you haven't seen Jesus, you Gentiles, okay, you've put your faith in him, you've said yes to him. And because of that, you are given all the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly places okay there is much we can talk about all the benefits that we have as believers in Christ and there are many and that's hard because i look at it we should just repent and turn to god because he's our creator i mean that's kind of like bottom line but there's so much more isn't there we have so many benefits and blessings And those are some of the things we share with people when we're sharing the good news. And those are things that the Holy Spirit bring to life. Because so many people, they are weighed down, they're condemned, they're in their guilt, and their shame of their shortcomings, their sin. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, you can be forgiven of that. You can have a second chance. Your slate can be clean. And not just that. (laughs) You can have eternal life with your creator for all time in heaven. It's just so good. And that's really what is going on here. So let's take a look at verse 10 because it continues on and it tells us, And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor, and he made his camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women would go out to draw water. So what Eliezer here does next, okay, he's asking for super... Natural guidance. So he plots out this scenario and asks God to cooperate. He says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show me kindness or kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here at a well of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please, Let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. And I also will give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So trust me, for one woman to volunteer to draw water, not just for this guy, but his 10 camels. Do you guys know that camels can drink up to five gallons at one time? Yeah, that's why they have those humps there, right? (laughs) But the point is, that would be 50 gallons of water. I mean, this is a big task. So we need to be careful when we concoct a plan and ask God to bless it. Because you guys know that God is never obligated to bless our plans. You guys know that? Okay. It's about his plan. But here, he does cooperate with Eliezer. Look at verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking. And behold, Rebekah, who was born in Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with a pitcher on her shoulder. Now, the young woman was beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled the pitcher, and came up. You guys remember the first Gentile woman that got saved at the well there in Samaria? Check it out, John chapter 4. For you guys who've been watching The Chosen, that was a cool episode. But I always love that account in the scriptures. Like, here is God, you know, showing up, meeting with this woman, really saving her. And what does she do? She goes and she goes, tells everybody, You got to come and see you got to come and see the man who's told me everything, the Messiah. He has come, okay? Uh, Beautiful picture there. So let's read on. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let down her pitcher from her hand and gave him drink. And she had finished giving him drink. She said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. I'm sure Eliezer here got pretty excited at this point. You guys just picture, you're like, Oh, no way, God, this is right. I found the right gal for Isaac. <laughs> then she quickly emptied her pitcher in the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew, all, drew for all the camels. And the men, wandering at her, uh, remained silent, So as to know whether the Lord had made the journey prosperous or not. So there's only one step that's left here, guys. She had to accept the proposal. You guys see that? It was on her. Is she going to say yes or not? You see, the Spirit can find us. He can woo us. But we have to agree to follow. You know, and aren't we praying for people? God, open their eyes, you know. Let them see their great need of you. Let them see your love, God. You know? And we see it in some people's lives, okay? You see God working on them. They're, they're seeking. And when we pray, like, Lord, please, you know, please save them. But ultimately, it's their choice. We know that God loves them, He desires none to perish, but they have to say yes to Him. Okay. Let's read on, see what happens. So it was. When the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel. Is that a lot, ladies? Is that a big ring? I don't know how big it is. Two bracelets on her wrist weighing, I just wouldn't want a big ring booger. Yeah, anyways, <laughs> shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Melchus' son, whom was born to Nahor whomever she said or yeah moreover she said to him we have both straw and feet enough and room to lodge and then the man bowed down his head and he worshiped the lord and he said bless the lord god of my master abraham who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master as for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So Abraham wanted a bride for his son of his own people. So when Rebekah identified herself as Abraham's niece here, Eliezer knew that God had directed his steps this far. Okay, This was God's deal. This is his plan. And there's no accidents with God. Do you guys know that? I love what the rabbis say. They say coincidence is not a kosher word. Okay? And it is. It's one of those things. I, I wish I would have started jotting down years ago all the coincidences in life because they happen so often. It's just like there is no way that this could happen. And then this. And this. And this. And this. And this. All glory to God, guys. Man, it is his deal. And there are no coincidences with it. You know? <laughs> it's just God. Uh, let's look at verse 28. So the young woman ran and told her mother's house, these things. Now, Rebecca had her brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. And so it came to pass, when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well, and he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Then the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and they provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you about, the, about my errand. And he said, Speak on. So, he said, I am Abraham's servant. So, Eliezer here goes to talk about God's blessing upon his master, Abraham. The miraculous birth of Isaac. The promised covenant, right? The journey that he was sent on to go find a wife now for Isaac. To, you know... Yeah, the whole proposal to confirm the will of God. And that brings us to verse 49 here that tells us this. Now, if you deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. So in other words, will you or won't you give Rebecca to be married to Isaac? So, in essence, here, Eliezer is saying, God, He supernaturally guided me here. He arranged this miraculous meeting. He has put this all together, but you still have to decide. Okay? And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit says to us God providentially leads us, okay? Crosses our paths confronts us with the opportunities, but it's always up to us to choose whether we go or we stay put, okay? And he always requires a choice. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to to you either bad or good. So in other words, how can we argue with God? I mean, that's what they're saying. Obviously, God's in this. So here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, they worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. (sighs) Do you guys know that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents? It's beautiful, guys. Okay, It is beautiful. When somebody says yes, to Jesus. A party breaks out, okay? Um, and that's the same thing when somebody responds to the Holy Spirit's invitation. Beautiful. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave precious things to her uh, brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and they drank and they stayed the night. Then they arose in the morning and said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, hell, let the young woman stay a few days, okay? At least 10. And then she may go. They sound kind of like the man who wanted to follow Jesus, but he had to go home first and bury his father. You guys remember that story? That's what this is sounding like here. Well, the Spirit says the same thing. The offer is now, okay? Not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Okay, how many have we known that we've been praying for? Lord, save them. You see God working in their life, you know, but they keep putting it off another day, another day, to the point where they're no longer even open to spiritual things. They're no longer seeking, asking questions. Okay? The wooing, the excitement about maybe Jesus being the true and living God, the savior of the world, that has come to pass. Why? Because we need to respond, guys. Today is the day of salvation. Okay? Maybe you're in a place right now, you're seeking, you're being wooed by the Holy Spirit. Say yes. Okay? Jesus is the best, truly. Okay? Nothing like knowing him. Okay? Having eternity with him. Let's move on. And he said, Don't hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. So they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. And then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. No hesitation. I love that. Don't you guys love that? When you're sharing with somebody and they're like, I'm all in. Let's go. I'll believe. I'm on board. Let's do it. You know, and I feel like that's what Rebecca said. Hey, I'm there. Even though I haven't met this man yet, I believe. My faith is there. I'm in. Let's go. So they sent Rebekah away, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands and tens of thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Verse 61, Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels, and they followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and departed. You guys notice here, she followed the comforter. Do you guys know that What that's what we're doing until we see Jesus face to face? Okay. We're just in step with the Spirit of God. We're following. Where are you leading? I'm going to go. Okay. So it's kind of fun, trusting in and riding with the Holy Spirit until that day, guys. Now, Isaac, we're told, came from Ber Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. So this is the first time that we've seen Isaac since chapter 22. He was offered there as a sacrifice. Now the next time we see him, he's coming out to meet his bride. You guys see the picture there? Pretty cool. So what a picture we have of Jesus. After the resurrection, he is to the Father. The Holy Spirit is sent to woo him a bride. And the next time we're going to see him is at the rapture of the church okay and we will be with him forevermore pretty exciting and Isaac went out to meditate catch this what is he doing he's meditating in the field um, in the evening and he lifted his eyes and he looked and there camels were coming so if you're single I want you to notice a couple lessons here Isaac didn't go out looking for a bride did he okay what was he doing here okay he was just meditating on the Lord and the comforter brought him a bride. So when Brecha shows up, he finds Isaac meditating. So guys, if you're single, you don't have to comb through singles groups to try to figure it out. Who am I going to marry? Just chill out and let God take care of it. I love it. Okay, I was chilling everywhere I went. Oh, there's Sunny. I'm out street preaching. Oh, you, you street preach too? Nice. Hey, I'm going to go to Bible study. Hang out with some brothers. Oh, you're there too. Oh, God's calling me to serve the youth. Oh, you serve the youth everywhere I go. Couldn't get rid of her. God brought her right there. So I knew what was up. Took a little while for her to figure out what was up, but God really did it. Our first date, guys, we decided we were getting married. The first time we actually talked about liking each other. First time, and we didn't even planned the dates. We were going to go street preaching in Madison, Wisconsin because they're very liberal down there. I got spit on a few times. Anyways, they don't like Christians down there. you know. Well, we showed up with the big group who had been going down regularly, and nobody else showed up. It was just her and I. So we're just like, I don't feel comfortable going alone with a sister in Christ (laughs) all the way to Madison. So let's go get pizza and talk about getting married instead. (laughs) So that was our first date. Anyways, it is one of those things... um, As a believer, we want someone who loves the Lord, okay? And some of us, you know, are in a place we came to faith later in life and we're already married, okay? We talked about that last week. You keep praying for your spouse. Uh, But biggest decision outside of choosing Christ is who you're going to marry. And I want to encourage you guys, choose someone that's loving the Lord, okay? And you don't have to be looking. I know a lot of times we get so, hey, Who is it going to be? You know, our eyes aren't on the one that our eyes should be on. I think if we are really looking to him, God's just going to make that happen. All right. Um, Where are we? And Isaac was out meditating. Oh, then Rebecca lifted up her eyes. I love this. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. And she had said to the uh, servant, Who is this man walking in? the field to meet us and the servant said it is my master so she veiled and covered herself and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done and then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her guys this is the only second time love is mentioned in the bible the first one is between Abraham and his son Isaac, right? A father's love for the son. And the second mention is between a husband and a wife. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now chapter 25, Abraham again took a wife and her name was Keturah. So Abraham bought a burial plot, right? For Sarah and said, hey, give me property that I may bury the dead out of my sight. So the implication here was once Abraham buried Sarah, he moved on with his life. So here's some proof that he's not a grieving widower forever. Again, grieving is okay, but it needs to come to an end. Okay? Life still goes on and God wants us to move on. So he starts a second life here and we're told she bore him Zimram, Jokshin, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. So six sons after the age of 100. See, once Abraham got going here, he just kept going, okay? Um, Jachan, we're told, begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Lechim, and Lumium, and the sons of Midian were Ephoth, Ephr, uh, Hanash, Abedai, and Eldah, and these were the children of Ketorah. Now, verse 5, I think, is important. It says, And Abraham gave all the that he had to who? To Isaac. You guys remember the inheritance, this promised covenant is what is important here. Okay, His only son Isaac was still the heir. So none of his other offspring diminished Isaac's inheritance. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, we're told. So he must have had additional children besides Keturah's kids, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country in the east. Verse 7, the sum of the years of Abraham's life was 175. Then Abraham breathed his last, and he died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. So here's an inference to afterlife, guys. I love that this is in Genesis. Genesis. Okay, they didn't drift into oblivion. Okay, they didn't hover over living beings as ghosts. Oh, you guys ever hear that? Oh, it's all good. They're watching over you. No, they're not. Okay, uh, they don't cease to exist. There is an afterlife. It's there. From the first book in the Bible, we are taught this is what happens. Do you guys know eternity? We're told in the scriptures, written in our hearts. You may be an atheist. Maybe you're watching online right now, atheist. You know deep down, life goes on after this life. It's in your heart. God put it there. Do you guys know that? We all know that. We just know something else is after this life. It's in us. So, what is this place? Well, we were told here he was gathered to his people. So apparently, Old Testament believers had a place that they would gather after this life. The Bible names that place after Abraham. You guys know in Luke 16, Jesus refers to a place called Abraham's bosom. bosom, right? Exactly. So after Jesus completed salvation, when we die now, where do we go? Immediately to heaven to be Him with him, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with him. We're in heaven with him. Which is exciting. So, verse 9. And the sons of Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, in the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. And more uh, was buried than Abraham that day, because it seems like Isaac and Ishmael were able to bury the hatchet to bury their dad. And sometimes, saints, okay, we're going to lose a mom, a dad, and I hate when I, you know, there's that sibling infighting when a parent, that doesn't have to happen, especially as us as believers, because it's not about stuff, okay? It's not about getting this or that, okay? It's about loving one another, And, and we're grieving, and we as believers, we get to live in reality. We get to see big picture, okay? Life is so much more than this, okay? They're passing on. We have eternity set before us. So I would want to encourage you guys, when that happens, okay, love. (laughs) Serve in those opportunities with your siblings. Don't allow it to get stupid and ugly. Um, And it came to pass, we're told, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed His son Isaac, and Isaac dwelled in Beer Roy. Okay, it was by this well, guys, that God appeared to Hagar. You remember that, okay? Um, when she was rejected, the name of the is the well of the Living One who sees. Uh, so it's interesting. Okay, um, it's interesting here that Abraham was always building altars too. Did you guys catch that as we've been studying through his life? Every new place he went, what was the first thing he did? He'd build an altar and worship God. I think that is so cool. Well, Isaac majored in digging wells. So Isaac left behind sources of water for others who could be nourished by them. So Abraham worshipped. Isaac watered. So Abraham gave God praise. Isaac helped other people quench their thirst. And both are remembered as men of faith. Check out Hebrews chapter 11. Okay? We need both these attitudes, brothers and sisters. We need to be looking upward in worship, and we also need an outward look to witness to others. Verse 12. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maid servant, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by the names according to their generations. The firstborn, Ishmael, uh, Nebagoth, Kedar, Abiel, Misam, Mishma, uh, Duma, Masa, Haidar, Tima, Jether, Naphish, and Kedema. So 12 sons in all here. And these were the sons of Ishmael, and they were their names, and their towns, and their settlements, 12 princes according to their nations. And these are the years of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt in Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go towards Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. Verse 19, and this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife, and the daughter of Bethuel, the Cyrene of Padam Aram, and the sister of Laban the Cyrene. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. I want you guys to notice that God gave Rebekah a child when when her husband Isaac prayed. So husbands, you're the priest of your home, okay? And God wants you to pray for your wife. He wants you to be praying for your children. So guys, we like to be kings, but we are also called to be priests, okay? It's not about what we get. It's about us being on our knees and praying, interceding, lifting up our family. And men, if your wife is going through a barren season, maybe spiritually speaking, you pray. You pray, you intercede on her behalf. Be the priest of your home. Verse 22, But the children struggled together within her. Notice it says children here, guys. So Rebecca had twins, Esau and Jacob, and apparently they didn't get along. Even in utero, is that what you gals call that? Okay, in the belly, in the womb, they were the the rabbis teach the Jewish people believe literally they were fighting okay warring trying to kill each other even in the womb okay that's what they teach and she said if all is well why am i like this like what is going on in my tummy so rebecca had some parental complications here she calls a doctor she asks god for a diagnosis and says so she went to inquire of the lord and the lord said to her two nations are in your womb Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So according to custom, guys, the firstborn was always given all the rights to the family, the inheritance, the family blessing. So the older son, Esau, will serve the younger son, Jacob. And this was a prophetic word about what was going to play out uh, for the future of two nations. Esau, the father of the Edomites, which were dominated for most part um, by Jacob's descendants, the Jews. Look at verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red and like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. So Rebekah gave birth to two sons. The oldest Esau, literally his name means Esau. Hairy, okay, kind of looked like a little bear cub. Um, Afterwards, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. (laughs) So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So Jacob was born second here, okay. He tried to overtake his older brother from the womb uh, by grabbing Esau's heel. Literally, Jacob's name means heel catcher. So the name also means scoundrel or crook, con artist. That's actually who Jacob is, okay? He was very descriptive of his character. Uh, Verse 27, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in his tent. So Esau was kind of like the rugged man, like a man's man, a hunter, okay? And Esau was what Arnie would call a girly man, you know? Um, (laughs) Mama's boy, okay? Uh, Liked to cook soup or stew, which we're going to see in a minute. Cross-stitch. I don't know what else he did. Um, And here's what happened, guys. Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game. And Rebecca loved Jacob. So Isaac loved the taste of delicious bucks. He liked his venison, okay? Uh, So he gravitated towards the wild man. Okay, Esau. But the mild man, Jacob, ended up being mama's boy here. Now Jacob cooked a stew, we're told. And Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me (laughs) uh, with some of that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom, Okay, which means red. Esau was famished and loved the reddish stew. Jacob was simmering in his crockpot. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as it is this day. So, this birthright, Isaac's inheritance, was more than a toolbox or a few shares of stock. Guys, this included God's covenant. The Savior of the world would come through him. Okay, all nations would be blessed. The promised land, great nation. All of this. You guys remember we talked about the sod, the seed, salvation. That's what we're talking about. That birthright was on the line here. And Esau traded it for what? A bowl of Campbell's chunky lentil soup. Come on, dude. Seriously? But what does that tell you and I when we think about this? This was Esau's downfall. He cared more about what was physically oriented rather than eternally oriented oriented or spiritually oriented he would rather feed his belly than his soul with the blessings of God so Esau said look I'm about to die so what is that birthright to me then Jacob said swear to me this day so he swore to him and sold him his birthright to Jacob and Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils and he ate and he drank he arose and he went his way Thus, Esau despised his birthright. So certainly, guys, this is a very... It's the pitfall of Esau. um, This revelation here uh, to his soul. You know, he was superficial, very hollow man. uh, And Jacob doesn't fare much better. You guys catch what Jacob's doing here? You know, like, oh, Jacob, the spiritual one. You know, the one who's going to have the name Israel one day. No, this guy, like, seriously, Jacob has his own issues, okay? Uh, He's the heel catcher. He's deceptive. He's been manipulative. Um, And he cons his brother right out of his birthright here. So this might rank probably as the greatest swindle of all time in history, right? Um, (laughs) You know, Jacob and all the Jews received God's greatest blessings in exchange for what? A measly bowl of... Soup, chili, you know? Uh, remember, though, Jacob didn't have to be conniving. He didn't have to do this. Why? Verse 23, guys. God promised Rebekah the older will serve the younger. So it's in God's will, okay? From the beginning for Jacob to inherit that birthright. So he took matters into his own hands. Do you guys know that faith, okay? Through faith and patience... We inherit God's promises. That's how we enter in. It's not trying to work it out on our own, in our flesh, conniving, making it happen. You see, the works of the flesh always yield pain. They always will. Jacob's actions end up alienating Esau here, creating this very deep-seated hatred between them and ripping apart this entire family. Um, so Jacob was a swindler, a thief. Deception's his middle name, but apparently God saw within Jacob a desire for spiritual things. He wanted God's blessing. Esau didn't care anything about that blessing. So he could you know, he could do it all himself. He's a man's man. I don't need you, God, but Jacob had faith. Esau didn't. So that's the deciding difference. Here And that's why God later in Malachi chapter 1, you know, Jacob, I've loved, Esau, I've hated. Um, and it really, Jacob was more honest, um, you know, when it came to spiritual things of saying, yes, I need you, God. <laughs> I need your help. <laughs> you're, you're a savior. He saw that. Um, but when we consider Jacob. You know, as a person, he was just as much need of grace as Esau was, if not more. I mean, you look at what he's really doing here. Uh, There was once a woman that went to Charles Spurgeon and said, Hey, I can't understand why God says that he hates Esau. And I love how Spurgeon responded to her and said, Madam, that's not the difficulty. My trouble is trying to understand why God would love Jacob. And I think it really is perspective. You know, and it's all by God's grace. Do you guys get that? Um, yeah. Aren't you guys thankful that God's graceful and merciful towards us? I sure am. All right, let's look at chapter 26, our last chapter here. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerer. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, live in the land which I will tell you, dwell in this land. And I will be with you and bless you, for to you and your descendants I will give these lands, and I will perform an oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars in the heavens, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. My commandments, my statutes, my laws. So God repeats here the promise that He had made to Abraham. And this is a very strategic passage of scripture. You guys know that Islam teaches that the Abra- it actually teaches the Abrahamic covenant, but they teach that it came through Ishmael and not through Isaac. So here God is confirming, no, this is through you, Isaac. This covenant. Okay, the Messiah will come through you. Now verse 16, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place, the Philistines, asked about his wife. And he said, she's my sister! For he was afraid to say, she's my wife, because he thought, lest these men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she was beautiful to behold. behold. Uh, where have we heard this before, guys? <laughs> exactly. So, this really... This is the philosophy of Isaac's parents. So Abraham and Isaac adopted uh, you know this idea when they were traveling through those pagan nations. Now Isaac's just following in their footsteps. So parents remember the apple never falls far from the tree guys okay um, Don't tell your child to follow in your footsteps until you make sure you've covered your tracks. We shouldn't do that. We who, our call to be holy is he is holy. We should be walking uprightly. It's not one thing, hey, I give lip service, you know, to loving God and to following him. No, I'm going to do it. Not just when we're doing family devotions or we go to church on Sunday mornings together as a family. No, this is, this is it. Not that any of us parents are perfect, okay? I know we all feel like we fall short. But are we living a life that is dependent upon our God are we humbly walking with him are we doing those things that people of faith do even when we do fall do we get back up are we willing to be honest enough to repent to pray to ask for forgiveness when we have wronged our kids to be an example of what it looks like to be a Christ follower I hope so Uh, our kids need that our kids are very prone to repeat our blunders, guys. And the cool thing is some of you guys are looking at mom and dad, well, they're the reason I am the way I am today. Okay? But the truth is as we considered last week, anyone in Christ is a new creation. Okay? We have a perfect parents. <laughs> we have a heavenly father. Okay? We don't have to use those excuses. Okay? We don't have to be like that. Yesterday I was hanging out in the jail Um, And I had an opportunity uh, just to reflect on a lot of uh, different men and women that I have been able to minister to who have been incarcerated over the years. And Lord brought a lot of them back to mind and got to pray for them and uh, a few that I want to follow up with that I haven't talked to in a while. Uh, But with uh, literally over a 1,000 sit-down, one-on-ones opportunities uh, with different people who have been incarcerated sharing their story with me so many of them had the excuse of i'm here <laughs> i blew it i broke the lie sinned in this way because of my upbringing it was mom and dad it was just all i knew okay that's the hope of the gospel guys he can set us free from our past he makes all things new so there are things we can learn from mom and dad And there are things that we can learn not to do by our mom and dad's examples. But for right now, today, stop the excuses, okay? And purpose in your heart to be that example that you need to be for your kids, okay? And hopefully that example is, I'm not perfect, but I'm trusting the Lord. I'm going to keep looking to him. I'm going to humbly walk with him. I'm going to keep pointing you to him. So, verse 8 says, Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah's wife. So, I looked into this. I took a deep dive. What did the original language say here? It says they were smooching. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, You know, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, Lisa I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this that you've done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So a godly man is rebuked by this pagan king. So Abimelech charged his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. An executive order protected uh, Isaac and Rebekah here. Look at verse 12. And then Isaac uh, sowed in the land, and he reaped that same year a hundredfold. Think about that. Crazy. The Lord blessed him. Um, and this isn't a blessing Isaac deserved, guys. It came on the heels of this colossal failure for him. But with all God's blessings, guys, you guys know it's just being recipients of his grace that's all it is it's nothing we earn it's not because we're great and worthy his blessings guys it's just because he loves us it's a gift um i love it so we trust him okay we trust him we don't get because we're worthy you're not saved you don't get to be a kid of the king okay have eternal life because you're something special we're all the same We're all in the same boat. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The only thing that saves us is his grace, guys. It is a gift he gives. And as we considered before, that gift is for all people. God so loved the world. Do we choose to say, yes, I will receive that gift by faith? That's all it is, guys. So moving on, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous for he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So God poured it on for Isaac. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had, not, or had stopped, uh, stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they had filled them with the earth. Now Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And then Isaac departed from there, and he pitched his tent in the valley of Gerir, and he dwelt there. And Isaac dug again in wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by names, which his father had called them." Now, remember the signature traits, guys. Abraham built altars and Isaac dug wells. So Abraham dug wells um, that these Philistines came and covered over. Now, Isaac, he goes back and he unplugs those same wells, which provided um, an interesting picture for us here. Um, Satan's like the Philistines. You guys know that? He, he wants nothing more than to plug up those sources of any spiritual blessing for us. Okay, that's what Satan does. He'll bury the joys that we have in praying, in Bible study, in fellowship with other believers, in worshiping God. Um, the traditions get thrown in there, traditions of neglect begin. To happen. And often it takes a new generation, okay, and Isaac to redig that well, to rediscover and emphasize the significance of those things that were lost. And that's what we're doing, guys. You know, it's one thing, maybe mom and dad were believers. Praise God. They gave you Jesus, okay? But let me tell you what, Satan gets in there and he plugs up a lot of those spiritual things. Those good things. Okay. Maybe they went to church, had home Bible studies, okay? Went out and served the Lord. Went and preached the gospel. Well, why did that stop? What happened? Don't know. Life, traditions, they get in the way. We gotta go unplug those things. And digging takes work, doesn't it? We don't like to dig. Well, let someone else do that. No, let's be Isaac's guys. Not just for ourselves, you know, but our loved ones, our neighbors, our community. They need Jesus, and we need to keep digging up, you know. And that's what I love about the Word of God. Because right here, the Word is speaking these truths to us. How many of us think on these lines? We don't. It's right here in the Word. Hey, need to dig up. <laughs> Go back to those good things. Where did that nourishment come from before? Get back to that. Verse 19, also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerir, they quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the place Esek because they quarreled with him. So the word Esek it means quarrel. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that one also. So they called the name Sitna, Or hostility. And he moved there and he dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called the name Rehoboth. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. So the word Rehoboth means spaciousness. So Isaac finally finds some peace here. So Isaac's life is a really good example for you and I. The world we live in is full of obstacles detours but when one door shuts guys another is going to open and hey dig another well (laughs) go through that door dig another well keep digging wells and eventually you're going to find your Rehoboth verse 23 then he went up from there to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said I am the God of your father Abraham do not fear, for I am with you, and I will bless you, and I will multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So again, God transfers the Abrahamic covenant to Isaac here. So he built an altar, and he called the name, or on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and Isaac's servants dug a well. So he settled in Beersheba. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar of Ahazath, of his friends, And Pishkal, the commander of his army, and Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, since you hate me and you have sent me away from you? But they said, We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us and between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, since we have not touched you, and since We have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. Then they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass that same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And he said, we have found water. So they called it Sheba, or that means oath. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day, so the well of oath. In verse 34, it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they were a grief of the mind of Isaac and Rebekah, Guys, it's another example of Esau's, you know, lack of want of spiritual things here. He married two idolatrous wives, the Canaanites. He married wives that had no love for God. Um, and must have broken his parents' heart. Okay. Um, so single brothers and sisters, <laughs> marry someone that loves Jesus. Make sure they love Jesus and follow him so important so father we're thankful for these accounts uh, just love how your word is um, so relevant for today still God we do pray that you would give us wisdom God we know digging takes a lot of work but we know that it's well worth it as we considered last week we want to be those who are so filled with the spirit your spirit that there's an overflow just torrents of living water gushing from our lives, God. Lord, help us not to grow weary in doing good. Help us to keep believing, Lord, looking to you. We thank you so much for the work of your Spirit, the comforter in our lives. God, I know this life does throw us a lot of curveballs, detours, but you're there with us, and we're thankful for that, God. And we want to follow you well, so help us to do so pray you bless these, my brothers and sisters, well, uh, this day, this week. Help us to keep keeping on with you, Lord. Uh, we want to bring you glory. We want to be trusting you. We know you're trustworthy. That's one thing that we love seeing uh, in your word. And just even as we're moving quickly through generations of people, we see that you keep your promises, that you are faithful. Thank you for that, God. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.